scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> Hey, Creepsters. I'm, I'm Barry Marino. I'm Philip Landry. And uh, this is an Open Shutters Goes to the Movie bonus episode. You guys like our new opening. I, I like our new opening, don't you? I, I like that it. Vincent Price laugh. But don't worry, guys. We haven't gotten rid of the, the creepy lullaby. It's still going to be played at the end of every episode, including this one. Now, tonight's episode, was, is a, this is a bonus episode. It's sort of like a combination movie review and regular episode in a way except we're not having anyway. all the we're not having all the um the 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 obits and the and the um i can't think of those things though the horoscopes, or, yeah, horoscopes. <laughs> the horoscopes. but we no. are going to be discussing an actual case which was made to a movie the movie we're talking about tonight is called boys don't cry 1999 starring hillary swank Chloe Sevigny, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, Alicia L Lacey Gorison, who plays uh, Becky on The Connors. And she was the first Becky on Roseanne. And um, Brendan Sexton III. Now, uh, we need a little background on what this case is about. It was about a trans man by the name of Brandon Tina, who was born December 12, 1972. And he, he was a trans man... Who at one time was raped and it was raped, and then he was murdered along with a man named Philip Devine, a woman named Lisa Lambert, and um, in um, Hum how you pronounce that Humboldt, Nebraska. So, bro, um, Hillary Swank plays uh, Brandon Tina in the film, and it, it, it opens where. What happens? One of her... On the time frame, make sure we get this right. It was 1993, correct? 1993, yeah. So this was five years before the Matthew Shepard. So let's right in Nebraska, which is right next door, kind of going on to what was in Wyoming. Right. So this is just kind of paint the it's setting. Almost, yeah, they, it's almost... They're almost like sister cases, you know? And uh, Brandon was... Um, he had a girlfriend. He, Brandon, what he used to do, he was kind of a, a, kind of a prankster. She... I should say, at the time, when she was still Tina, used to pretend to be a boy and not tell girls anything. And she would strap down her breast and put socks in her in a crotch to make it look like she had a penis. You know, I had a, friend, a, 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 a woman who I think is a trans man, even though she wound up living as a lesbian. But um, one of my neighbors, who was a few years younger than me, used to do that exact same thing. She used to pretend to be a boy. She used a boy's name. I'm not going to say her real name or her, her fake no. name. Yeah, you know, protect this, this this young woman's privacy. But she uh, she used to do that, and she'd pretend she was a boy, and then she would just really freak out some of these girls. They would think she was a boy, and they would kiss her, and they would let her feel them up and that kind of thing. And then when they found out that she had the same equipment they did, they'd freak. And some of the girls, she started noticing that there were some uh, such thing as lipstick lesbians. So she was able to have, like, these feminine girlfriends without having to pretend to be a boy. Now, uh, getting back to Brandon, uh, and, and how did the movie begin? It began, like, about five months before the murders, right? Yes. Right? And didn't he have a boyfriend, a girlfriend whose brother found out that he was really a trans man and was threatening to beat him up and he had to leave town? But I, know, I remember he goes into a bar where he meets Candace, who is actually the um, Lisa Lambert, but they changed her name. I don't know why, but they changed her name. And she is played by Lacey Garrison. Y'all know Lacey Garrison from the TV show Roseanne and Connors. Connors. Becky. She plays Becky. She was the first Becky. Yep. She played Becky for the first few years on Roseanne, and then she left and she was replaced but by Sarah But she looks Chalk. so different in this role. But she has really short hair, which I never saw her and they, with before. And even their makeup was done a little different than what it was done in the... In the well, she was more kind of trailer parky in this role. and It was di it was a different kind of look. It yeah. was a different kind of... different. 
And her acting was amazing. She, it was yeah, totally never, different than what we see on the sitcom. I never really thought that she was a good actress until I saw this. Because I always thought she always looked kind of... Even now on the Connors, it almost kind of looks like she's phoning her role in. You know, it, 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 it's... Well, and sometimes sitcom kind of works that way. It's a different kind of acting. You well, know totally, that. Yeah, you know that. Then, per se... It's, it's much more broad. But this actually showed she could really be an excellent film actress. Yeah, and why she hasn't done more film... Don't know And why. more dramatic roles, I don't know. Oh. I don't think she was really took acting seriously. Because she even left Roseanne to go to college. It's not that she's not able to do it, though. No, no, no. She's able to do it. She's very, very good in this. Now, um, he meets her, and she's kind of taken with him. She kind of likes him a little bit. And it looks like, didn't they make out a little bit or something? But it's like we really kind of seem more like friends at the end of the but day. But they, really, they really became really good friends. And through her, he meets two young men. What were their names? Um. Paul, what was it? Wait, I know it's on this other page. Okay, through her he meets these um these two young men named John Lauder and Tom Neeson. Tom Neeson. Tom Neeson. That was the one. That was the role that um that Peter. Yeah, no, John Lauder was the role played by Peter Sarsgaard, and Brendan Sexton the third played Tom Neeson. And they become friends. And they all, she also meets a young woman named Lana Tisdall, yeah. who she falls madly in love with. Actually, in this one, they fall in love with each other. Now, Lana is played by Chloe Sevigny. Yes. And uh, who, uh, you guys know Chloe Sevigny from a bunch of different things. Oh. Uh, Mary, she was in two uh, seasons of American Horror Story. The Asylum one, where she played the nymphomaniac that that crazy Nazi doctor winds up disfiguring, kind of like... <laughs> kind of like they did to that woman in, in Freaks, you know? Oh, yeah. There was that. She was... And in, then she was the doctor in The Vampire in a hotel. The hotel one, yeah. yeah. And uh, she also was a big love about the uh, the Mormon um, polygamy show, The Man with the Three Wives, along with um, Bill Paxton and Jeannie Triplethorpe and uh, Jennifer Goodwin. And uh, she, she was one of the three wives. One of her best acting abilities is facial expression. Yes. Like, I, and, and we notice it in, in, but not just in, like, what we were talking about, like, American Horror Story and stuff, but even in this movie, in Boys Don't Cry, which is before all that, you can tell facial expression. Well, she was nominated for an Oscar for that one scene. There is a scene where the entire scene, it's a sex scene. And it's it's a sex scene with, um, with her, in between her and Brandon. Between her and Hillary Swank. And all they really show is her face. But you could tell she, she's supposed to be having an orgasm. And I sometimes wonder if... I was wondering if, if Hillary she really, really had a dildo I there. I definitely wonder if she was really enjoying it. Because it was a little too believable. I was like, wait a minute. But she, got, uh, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Which she didn't win that year. And Hillary Swank was nominated for Best Actress. Which she actually won. And I remember when I was watching the Oscars that night, Hillary went up there looking as glamorous and girly as she possibly could, <laughs> you know. But uh, and and she caused a little bit, of, a little bit of grift, a little, a little bit of um, with uh, Brandon's family when she thanked Brandon Tina for being such a special person or something like that, and it really, it rubbed the family the wrong way. You see, I know it's here. She says, um, yeah. She had lied about her age, too. She, she When she was confronted, she told Pierce. But that's what Brandon would do. Because Brandon used to lie. He lied about everything. He was a liar. He used to lie and say he he came from um, Memphis. He used to lie and say, well, of course, he lied about his sex. He lied and said that he was a cis male. Well, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of trans people ended up, back, especially back then, were forced into doing that. So we have to take some responsibility. I'm not excusing saying that lying is a good thing, but society sometimes forces people to lie. Think about it, right, Bear? I mean, yeah. if you think about it that way, for a long time, society forced LGBTQ plus people to lie about 
how they work. And tra- and for trans people, it's even more intense. Because at least if you're gay, you're still getting to be your gender. If you're still lesbian, you're getting to be your gender. Yeah. For the trans person, there's this thing where society was set up to it's where it wasn't allowing that. And a lot of them, they come out first. Like, I use Chaz Bono as an, ex- as an example. Chastity came out first as a lesbian and lived as a lesbian. And then had to print out all over again as a trans person. Because society makes it harder for... As a trans for trans male, people, you know? yes, yes, and um, and so you almost have like two coming outs that you have to deal with. Once you you know when you um, when you coming out as a, when you're a trans person, trans male or female. Now, um, Brandon and um, and Lana get really hot and heavy, and John, who's kind of had a thing for Lana, starts getting jealous. And somehow or another, how did how did um, how did he find out that she was that that Brandon was really a transgender? It was really trans. Well, now did, did first off, let's go. Let's get time for According to the movie, Lana found out when they had that little when they were having that little moment. Yeah, she saw the cleavage thing, right? Yeah, and then she also felt down there, and that's yeah. how she realized. Yeah. So she found out earlier within the... And she kind of kept that a secret. Yes. He... He found out... Now you got me wondering how how he exactly found out. Now I've got all the story jumbled. Wasn't it because of the arrest thing? Yeah, they got arrested. What did they get arrested for? Because they... they got arrested in the ve- with the okay. When the, remember when the uh, they had the load the vehicle and Brandon was driving the vehicle, right? Right. And the cop pulls over, and they were wanting to get away, but didn't he ta- didn't he have an arrest record? The other guy. Yeah. Well, they ran. But, yeah, that's right. They ran his his um his name through. They found out his Peter Sarsgaard character. Yeah. And and they um and and they ran, ran Brandon's name through, and they found and they came up to him and said, um, Miss Brandon. We have to speak to you. And didn't he overhear that? And so what they do is, is they, they they kidnap Brandon and take him to Lana's mother's house. Oh, but ultimately also Candace confirms something. You know, he's trying to keep things quiet. Candace confirms something because didn't Candace accidentally go to them? Didn't she find the thing with the uh, the, the, the tampon and the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She that's right. Cause, and what another thing Brandon used to do, he used to sne- he didn't because Candace regretted that later on. He was so there were several things adding up. He would shoplift tampons, not because he couldn't afford them, but because he didn't want anybody to know he was a girl. So he used to steal them. Yeah, and while you know, in, in like in convenience stores and places like that, these are the days before they had all these cameras and everything like they do in the stores today. And a lot of people were getting away with theft and shoplifting and everything. He used to shoplift the tampons because he didn't want to buy them because he figured people would figure it out. And he needed them because he wasn't on any kind of hormone treatment or anything, so he was still functioning like a girl. He was still functioning like a woman. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, when they, when, when uh, John and Tom find out, they, ta- they, they, they go into, they come to Lana's mother's house. And Brandon comes in, not un- unknowing, and they take him in the bathroom. They pull down his pants, and they see the vagina, and you know, and they brutally rape him. Brutally rape him. And uh, one of the reasons why Hillary uh, Hillary Swank wasn't the original, you know, the original choice for this role. They had some of them on Drew Barrymore. There were other actresses in, but one of the one of the, the top one of the selling points is that she was willing to do that frontal nude scene. Now, a lot of actresses wouldn't do it. They wanted to stand in for that, but that was Hall Hillary we saw when she, when they pulled those pants down, and she yeah she was willing to she was willing to show <coughs> her pu- her pubic hair and her vulva on screen. I just. Just, just that whole scene watching that me it was very I, very very I thought as a viewer I always felt like I was being violated by them so I don't know if that was great filming or and the great acting I don't know what if it all combined but I felt like I felt like violated in that moment 
Yeah. Like, I don't know who did that Just film, but watching to watching it makes you feel violated. It's like, you feel, like, I will say acting had a lot to do with it, because Hillary Swank really did make you feel the pain of the moment. Yeah, that, yeah, and, and, and you were, she was believable as a boy. I mean, Hillary, Hillary Swank is a beautiful woman, and for her to be able to transform into a boy so well... But the acting to get bring us in on that moment when that level of pain was like, oh my goodness. Yes. And I don't normally, I really feel like a lot of films, if they're fiction and stuff, called this was based on true story, should as much keep out a lot of the rape scenes and stuff because that yeah. gets used too much with rape culture and all. Yeah. But in this case, it was kind of necessary to bring us into the horror of what really happened. And... Normally, normally I don't agree with that being in movies, but in this case, I think people needed to see it. People needed to feel revolted. They needed to feel anger towards these two men for what they were doing to Brandon Tina, to Hillary Swank's character. I mean, and she she really did convey that. Well, so she um, he's not gonna he doesn't want to report it. He actually yeah. he escaped through the bathroom window when they weren't looking. And he, she didn't want to report it. And Lana urges him to do so. But the police chief... Well, you caught one of the, one of the main reasons not to report it, and when, or at least in the way they conveyed it in the film, was because to, to admit that, I mean, they ha- she had to admit the body part that was violated, yeah. which was something she wasn't exactly... Comfortable with. Comfortable with because of the gender identity, which was yeah. to admit... Like, you remember that scene where she says... What, when they asked what part she had to say, my vagina. Yeah. And just the, the 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 level of that having to say that just, it hurt. You can see that it hurt. So she escapes. He escapes. And she, uh, and they, um, he decides to report it. Then the police start questioning them. So they're wanted by the police and they're really pissed. They want to kill her. They want to kill him. So at the time... She's staying with Candace. And how did they find out she's at Candace's house? Did they get it out of Lana, or did they get it out of Lana's mother? Is it Lana's mother they ratted her out? Oh, shoot. I apologize, I am not that great on memory. A, we watched this a few days ago, so it's not as fresh And we're not mind. the best on memory. Somebody let, let them know that she was at Candace's She was at Candace's house. They go to Candace's house, and... Candace is they they pulling they threatening Candace and her baby. She has a two year old baby, yeah, she has a and she's crying girl. for her baby's life. Please don't hurt my baby. Please don't hurt my baby. And they shoot her. They shoot Candace, and then they go and they shoot Brandon in the head. And I think they almost tried to shoot Lana, but it went past her. Yeah, like to the screen. And he he um he's already dead, and they stab him multiple times. And then I think they shoot him again. And they shoot him again to make sure, like, like it was our, it was too much. It was like, like, come on, like, 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 and I think that, in a sense, showed how much hate was how you kept doing whatever when you've already, yeah. Like if they would, if it would have been the initial shot, that would have been one thing. But then the stabbing, and then the subsequent shots after that, just show that level of hate. That shows how much. It, it's just yeah, it was it was definite hate crime type of thing, and. um he was, uh, yeah, okay, in real life, the arrest was posted in the local paper, and that's how they learned that he was, yeah, he, he, that he was really a girl. Which they did show in that in the movie. Yeah. And, um, what happened was, both of those, they, they both wound up getting, um, being tried. What, what is it, um, Anissa, uh, admitted to be an accessory to the rape and murder and he testified against Lauder and was sentenced to life in prison. Lauder was denied the veracity of Neeson's testimony and was discredited. And the jury found Lauder guilty of murder and received the death penalty. Now he tried to, to appeal the death penalty and he's still on death row to this day. Good. I mean, yeah. It's, um... He can stay there. Yeah, he needs to stay there. And he needs to think every day about what he did. Because you know there really are a bunch of... Really, these these guys are just garbage people. They're just trash. And I know, Brandon wasn't perfect. He lied. He was a con artist. 
And it just like the, the young girl I told you I met, she was the same way. She used to lie, she used to steal. She stole from the church, this girl. She, it's so funny because today she is, she li living a lesbian, as a lesbian, but she's very, very moral and she's very religious. And she's, she, you know, she, she's, she's extremely benevolent woman, benevolent person, a totally different than she was when she was younger. Well, when and that could young, be because, happens. and it also could be because she's allowed to be herself, even though she's living as a lesbian. And I truly believe she may be transgendered. She, at least she got that, you know. I mean, all I can say is. We really have to look at the fact on people when they're younger in the LGBT community. Sometimes they have to make choices and do things. I mean, it is a stress. Like I mean, and, and what I'm saying is, based on what you tell me, yes, so I agree, agree with you. No, I don't think theft is the right thing to do no. or stealing. But in the sense of sometimes out of desperation, people do certain things. Yeah. So, and 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 for some people, when they're going through gender identity crisis or whether they're going through sexuality crisis sometimes they act out in ways and do things it's because it's not to give a free pass it's just to say that there is a mental health there that causes them to do things well and, and it's how society treats them and it's um yeah and it's like well dear abby used to always say if you're constantly being told you're trash you're going to believe it yourself and you're going to behave that way and that's the same thing with with, uh, with African Americans. We're constantly told they were lazy, they were trashy, they were this. It got to the point where some uh, African Americans actually believed that and lived that way. And I don't. Uh, it just shows you how toxic racism and homophobia and any type of hate is, because it leads people to hate themselves. And there becomes a survival mentality. And when people in a survival mentality, they'll do things they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Uh, yeah I have seen, and we said we, we're supposed to do an episode about the history of the LGBT community in New Orleans, aren't we? Yeah. We're still going to do that episode? Oh, yeah. And I can tell you some things about the transgender community in the 70s when, you know, it was like all that was available for most transgendered people was either working as a sex worker. Some of them, if they had a good following, they could, they could do a, a, a drag show. And if they had a really good following and they were very popular, they could get a bartending job right. in one of the drag bars. And But uh, I've, only, I've known one transgendered woman. I'm not even going to mention her name, but she always had a pretty decent job. She even worked at a, as, a, at a, as a receptionist at an electrolysis technician's office. And uh, she also worked as a as an assistant chef too in the restaurant. But most um, transgendered people, like you know, if you look like your name is Alice, but your name is really Alfred, you weren't going to get a job at Seven Eleven, and you weren't going to get a job at Walmart at that time. You know, now it's almost a plus. You know, now what what I want to touch on now, Philip, is um, some of the differences between the movie and real life and the movie before, oh before you do that i want to read that thing that i was reading to you earlier on facebook okay okay so there's a group i don't want to mention too many about the group because i want to keep it kind of private what groups i'm part of but they posted something um i'm wondering how much i should give actually i'll give um just i don't want to give too much i need to cite but at the same time i don't know if i want to cite this because i want to keep some ambiguity because I don't like people being going after. I did not post this. This was posted by somebody else. I'm just repeating the tweet that was put here, okay? Um, I guess I can at least say this person. Can I say the original right here? Can I give them credit? I guess you could, yeah. Okay, because this is probably out there on the internet quite. Yeah. This person is Dante um, with a butterfly 17, uh, okay, whatever. And this is the tweet that they put out. That said, and then put in quotes, lesbians don't like dick, in quotes, gay men don't like pussy. I'm begging you not to say shit like this. Lesbians and gay men can and do date trans people and have sex with them. And that's very important to what we're mm -hmm. talking about sometimes is we have to start to view gender identity, sexuality, as things that are separate, have to look separate, but they also... 
They also meet sort of in a sort of, um, what do they call it? Cross-section? Yeah. Sectionality where in the community it meets that way. And it also says something about the community. We have to be kinder in the community. Like, before we can expect people outside the LGBTQ plus community to accept things, we've got to try to accept each other. Yes, yes, exactly. Because we've got to be allies for one another. Well, I am going to tell you, a lot of I'm that... Sorry. A lot of the hate in the tra- uh, t- towards transgenders was, you know, it was it was also on that part, too. Because, I'm going to say a little bit of this, I'm going to go into this in more detail in... in um, when we do the episode, but the transgender community had an attitude that gay men were actually women. You were either a man... That's not correct. And you were either a man... If you were a man, you had to be like, Mr. Butch Tough, I've been in jail a bunch of times with a bunch of tattoos. Yeah, man, yeah, my old lady, that kind of thing. Or you were a woman. And if you were a gay man, you were closer to being a woman than to being a man. You weren't considered a man. And that is a that's a mentality, and they always try to emulate straight life, and the devil works out for them. It never does, because the people they're trying to emulate it with are not nuclear family material. No, you know, and they always strive for the husband in the suburbs and the kids and the, all this other kind of stuff, and they never get that. They might get that now if they, you know, I, I, right. I think there's. More people that would be willing to date a trans person now than back then. And trans women did have a problem. That's why they had to deal with basically who these got boys were were hustlers. Their husbands and their boyfriends and everything. And they tried to say they were straight. Yet they were out there doing all the same things gay men and trans women do. They weren't, they weren't, sexually they were doing everything a gay man does. And the thing is, when we're looking at both trans men and trans women, really did when we look at that. And we'll probably explore more of this in some of the, in the next several episodes, but we have to talk about it here. They really have been at the forefront of the fight because they were fighting several battles. And they had the intensity where, yeah, I mean, they were trying to live their truth gender. They were living a much harder existence than, say, a cisgender gay man or a cisgender uh, lesbian. They were living a much harder life because they were trying to appear to be the gender they felt they were than what they were born. But they didn't think consider themselves part of the LGBT community. They thought they were straight people. Not all of them. No, no. no, but a lot of them. A lot of them. Well, we can't say that because we're coming up on the anniversary of Stonewall and some of the main ones, especially your trans people of color, did believe they were part of the community. Let me get clear. Some, and I know that some of you may hate me for this. Y'all can write whatever mean tweets y'all want. But some of the the white trans people, yeah, they felt that they were whatever the straight. But the ones that were people of color understood impression. The trans people of color, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, they knew. But I knew a couple of, of African-American trans women that were, had the same attitude as the other ones. Well, the ones that felt they could completely pass, which yeah. that's another issue I have, this idea of pass. Not everybody can pass. Not everybody no. had, not everybody has access or has the ability of the medical care to properly get things from day one, and maybe they can't pass, but that doesn't mean they're any less trans and they're any less woman or man that they consider themselves. Yes, and you know what? I um, Another thing, too, we, uh, we, we have to... Sometimes people get so, I don't know, like bleeding hard, I guess you could say. And it gets to a point where they they feel like they have to be nice to a person because they're trans or because they're black or because they're... they're it, it's, it's kind of a white liberal guilt thing. And 86 that, treat everybody like you treat anybody else. That's how you treat people. Totally accepting the person is treating them, and if, they, if they're rotten and nasty and dirty and smelly, treat them like a rotten, nasty, right. nasty. Ser- oh, I, I, if I, they're I, garbage I, people and they happen to be transgender, <laughs> treat them like they're garbage people. But what I, the point I was trying to make is, the trans people of color did deal with the oppression in the 1960s. Yes, they did from all angles, and it was the reason why Stonewall was a riot, and was one of the reasons 
they were at the forefront was because they felt the oppression at such a deep level from all angles. Yeah. Yeah. And out of that, that drove the movement. That's not to say they didn't bring along cisgender gay men and lesbians and other people with them. They did. Yes, they did. Actually, what, do you know, if, if you've heard it, one of the things I was watching a documentary, the... um trans women of color like Sylvia Ray and Marsha B. Johnson were actually defending what happened was is it all started because there was a lesbian who could have been a, like a butch lesbian I don't know if she would have actually been a trans man but she was being pulled by the police in the car and that's actually where it started was because she kind of like I don't know if it was she yelled out or something else, but they, the fact that they yelled out like aren't y'all going to do something and those were the first people to step up and do something were those trans women of color when they see this white butch lesbian being carted off they're the ones that stepped up Yes, I hate to say the white cisgender men didn't step in until later I'm not going to say they didn't step in but they didn't understand that oppression at that and they level. were still living as white men somewhere, you know. So. They were still trying to be part of the machine society, trying to think, oh, all of this can be done easy. Sometimes revolutions have to start a little violent. I hate to say it. Yeah. I don't agree with all the time violence, but sometimes things don't move until people get things noticed. Well, yeah. Now, now what I want to just... Uh, uh, Sorry we had to bring all the history in there, but it's true. Well, what I want to touch on now is differences between the movie... In real life. The main one is Candace, whose real name is actually Lisa Lambert. They changed her name. I don't know why. They never really gave a reason. And the girl was murdered. Maybe her family. Maybe the child. That minor, yeah. That could have been a reason. Because he had the child. He would have still been. It was a little boy, right? Yeah, he would have still been a minor. Wasn't it a little boy? No, I think it was a little girl. Was it a little girl, the baby? I can't remember the baby. It was a little girl. Well, anyhow, they would still have been a minor. Yeah. When the movie came out. The movie was 99. Their mother was killed in 93. So, so she yeah. would have just been like in the first grade or something. It still yeah. would have been a child. Yeah, eight, like, even third under, grade, yeah, something yeah. like that. And um, another one is is that uh, Lana is actually shown in a better light than what she actually was. First of all, when she found out that Brandon was a girl, she broke up with him right away. And there's even some speculation that she might have been in on the bashing and the mur- raping and the murder. Go yeah. on, I'm sorry. And then ten days... No, 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 no. I, I, I like it. And then ten days later, after uh, after Fox's murder, um, a 14-year-old youth named John Frederick Kilpatrick disappeared after leaving his parents' home to socialize with friends. Kilpatrick was found strangled to death and his body was discarded in a remote area of... Re- Rialto. 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 (laughs) His body was found December 13th and Kilpatrick remained a John Doe until August 5th, 1980. And on January 1st, 1980, he brutalized and strangled a 16-year-old Ontario youth named Michael Francis McDowell. And his fully clothed body was found along Highway 71. Although his body was not identified until March 24th. So on February 3rd, he drove from Downey to Hollywood in the company of 18-year-old Miley and with a specific intention of committing another murder. Now this is where he found the 15-year-old boy, Charles Miranda, and he was standing along a Starwood, uh, night, uh, a Starwood nightclub hitchhiking along Santa Monica Boulevard. And according to Miley, Bonin and Miranda engaged in a consensual sexual activity near the van as he drove before Bond and, and then whispered to Miley, kid's going to die. He was overpowered and bound by Bond and, and who then asked the youth how much money he had in his possession. Uh, when Miranda responded he had about $6, Bond and ordered Miley to take the youth's wallet before raping his victim. Miley also attempted to rape the youth, but was unable to, he was unable to sustain an erection. And in frustration, he assaulted Miranda with various sharp objects before assisting Bonin and beating him to youth, and they strangled Miranda to death with a t-shirt, his own t-shirt again, and a tire iron. Five minutes later, Bonin tells Bonnie, I'm horny again, let's go do another one. And this is where they made, met 12-year-old James McCabe. 
uh, he was um, he was at the bus stop at the corner of Beach Boulevard and Slater Avenue. He was lured into Bonin's van on the promise he'd be driven to his des- to Disneyland. Oh, I know that was. Uh, I mean, and this is I a boy. I saw that this boy saved the, up his money so he could uh, go to Disneyland, and this happens to him. And he could have easily just waited for the bus. It was just so <sighs> ill fated. Like and this. and according to Molly, he entered the van voluntarily of Bonding Road to a grocery store parking lot, where he parked the van and entered the rear of the vehicle. Molly then drove aimlessly for a matter way described as a very long distance. As he drove, Miley continually heard McCabe crying as Bonin beat and raped him before forcing the boy to sleep in his arms and then joined Bonin in beating the child and crushing his neck with a tire iron because he felt like doing it. He felt like killing this kid, so... This is making me sick. Bonin I mean, then, all of them were bad, but the one about it was... And then he strangled... going to Disneyland. This is like a little innocent kid just wanted to go to Disneyland. And then he uh, strangled the boy with his own T-shirt, and they discarded his fully clothed body alongside the dumpster in the city of Walmart, and his body was found three days later. Mm. So on February 4th, Bonin was arrested for violating the conditions of his parole, and he remained in custody of Orange County Jail until March 4th. More killings. Ten days later, he's released in the cu- from his custody... On March 14th, and he abducted another 18-year-old boy named Ronald Gatlin. And Gatlin was abducted shortly after he left a friend's home. He was beaten, sodomized, suffered severe deep, and had his, uh, his severe deep stabbing with an ice pick, a wound to the ear and neck before being strangled with literature. And his body was found hand and foot the next day in the city of Durate. And one week later, March 21st, Bonin lured a 14-year-old named Glenn Baker Barker into his van as a youth as a boy hitchhiked to school, and Barker was raped and beaten, strangled to death with a ligature. And his body bore evidence of no, numerous burns to the neck, which had been inflicted by lit cigarettes. Oh, Lord. In addition, the Barker had been violated with foreign objects, which had extent... Oh, God. He had, he had just stuck uh, objects into this boy's rectum. And, for, and the next day... He's doing all this in one day. A 14-year-old named Russell Rowe was abducted from a bus stop in Garden Grove. And Rowe was bound and beaten and strangled to death after an estimated eight hours of captivity. Before his body was discarded alongside the bark, uh, alongside that of Barker, in Cleveland National Forest, the youth's nude bodies were found on March 23rd. Oh my God! How many more of these are there? A lot. On Friday evening, March 1980, he offered the 17-year-old boy William Ray Pooh a ride home, and the pair uh, left Fraser's residence within minutes of accepting the ride. Bonin asked Pooh whether he would like to engage in sex with him. Pooh later stated that he panicked and stuttered upon hearing this request. And after sitting in silence for several minutes, attempted to leave the vehicle. And once Bonin slowed the van at a stoplight, in response, Bonin wordlessly leaned across and grabbed him by the collar, dragging him into the passenger seat. Ugh. And then, uh, confront, and then, uh, according to Poe, and then he confronted him with that he enjoyed abducting young hitchhikers. And then Friday and Saturday nights, who they, if you, uh, if you want to kill somebody, you should make a plan and find a place to dump the body before you even pick a victim. Oh my goodness. March 24th, he abducted a 15-year-old runaway named Harry Todd Turner. And actually, he got... This one, uh, Pooh got away. Chosen to refrain from assault and killing him. And he spared because a pair had been seen leaving his party. And they knew that they could... That if he was found, they could, yeah. they could connect him with him. So March 24th, Bonin, he's got Bonin and Pooh now... Or abduct. He's he's got this boy as a, an accomplice now. 
Oh yeah, he had several ones he used. And to he abducted from. a fifteen-year-old runaway named Harry Todd Turner from Los Angeles. I mean, they said Street. it was it was just sort of him. Pretty much, you could say he was running like a crime ring almost. With all yeah. And um, Turner had absconded from the boys' home. Yeah, he absconded from the boys' home in the desert community of Lancaster two, four days prior to meeting Bond and Pew. Pew was later to, uh, test, to later testify that he and Bonin and lured Turner into Bonin's van with an offer of $20 for sex. And after Bonin sodomizing and biting the youth, Bonin ordered Pew to beat Turner up. And Pooh bludgeoned and beat Turner about the head for several minutes. Bonin strangled the youth to death with his own t shirt. The Google lady and her nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. On the afternoon of April 10th, uh, he abducted a 16 year old named Steve Johnson Wood as the youth walked to school, having attended a dental appointment that morning. And his nude, extensively beaten body was discarded in an alleyway in Long Beach. Three weeks later, parked to the grounds of a Stanton supermarket, Bonin and Butts lured a 19-year-old employee named Darren Kendrick into Bonin's van on the pretext of selling the youth drugs. Kendrick's was driven to Butts' apartment where he was overpowered by the men. In addition to enduring sodomy and partial ligure strangulation, he was forced to drink hydrochloric acid by Bond, causing caustic chemical burns in his mouth, chin, stomach, and chest. And Butts then drove an ice pick into his ear, causing a fatal wound. And his body was discarded behind a warehouse in the Artesia Freeway, with the ice pick Butts had driven into his skull still protruding from his ear. Oh, Lord. And then on May 12th, they abducted and murdered a 17-year-old who laid a state of who Well, and here's the thing. I know you're bringing up a lot of this, and they brought this up in the documentary. He loved putting these, like, ice picks or coat hanger and things up there, and that was his way. He'd do it really slow to see if they were dead, and if they weren't dead, he knew he would kill them, but he could watch them <sighs> actually, you know, like, they're neurologically, like, shake or whatever as they were dying. Yeah. It was just really fucked up shit. Like... Oh. Ugh. Sorry about that. I had to get, like... Oh. Like, that's why he did that. That's why he would normally do it. It, it was... It, it, he, it wasn't about... It was giving him a really painful death. So he murdered... So the 17-year-old Lauren Sharp was discarded in the Westmeister gas station, and his body was found on May F. Teeth, and his autopsy revealed that in addition to being bound and sodomized, Bond and X butts to accompany on the killing. On occasion, however, butts were reportedly refused to accompany him. Operating alone, he abducted a 14-year-old named Sean King from a bus stop in Downey. Killed, killed him and discarded his body in Live Oak Canyon. And then he visited Butts' residence and bragged about killing, the killing of his accomplice. So he has this, uh, nine days after the murder of King, Bonin invited an 18-year-old homeless drifter named James Michael Monroe to move into the apartment he shared with his mother. Monroe had been evicted from his family's home in Native Michigan in early 1980 and had been living rough on the streets of Hollywood for several weeks. Monroe readily accepted Bonin's accommodation offer as he had earlier been the case with Miley. Monroe, a bisexual who preferred sex with relations with females, also began having a consensual sexual relationship with Bonin. He also accepted a subsequent offer of employment at, at the delivery firm where Bonin worked. And he later described his initial impression of Bonin as being a good guy, really normal. Although on the evening of June 1st, Bonin abruptly informed Monroe that he wanted the two of them to abduct, kill, rape, and kill a teenager. So uh, I think... Um, in the early 1980, the, the murders of the freeway killers were receiving a lot of media. And the reward totaling $50,000 in form leading to the conviction of the perpetrator had been offered by leading gay rights activists. Bonin avidly collected newspaper clippings of his own. He was so narcissistic. He kept newspaper clippings of his own manhunt. And 
having by this stage he had determined a definite link between many of the murders committed within the previous years and investigators from various jurisdictions where jurisdictions where the victims had been abducted or discovered had themselves begun sharing information in their collective hunt for the perpetrator and six officers from three of the jurisdictions in which the freeway killer had most regularly abducted or deposited bodies of his victims formed a task force. On May 1980, Pooh had been arrested for auto theft and he was housed in the Los Pandros Juvenile Courthouse. On May 25th, he overheard the details of the ongoing murders on a local radio broadcast and confided to a counselor his recognition of the perpetrator's modus operandi. Being that described to him by Bond in two, pre- two, previ- two months previous. And the counselor reported Pooh's suspicions to the police who in turn relayed the information to an LA, LAPD homicide sergeant named John St. John. Upon hearing the confidential tip from the counselor, St. John informed the information provided led St. John to deduce that Bonnie may indeed be the freeway killer. And McVicker had also contacted the authorities about this time to report his suspicions. So on June 12th, the same day the police uh, the police surveillance began, Bonin, accompanied by James Monroe, encountered an 18-year-old print shop worker named Stephen J. Wells standing at a bus stop on El Segnudo Boulevard. Bonin and Monroe enticed the guy into the van and le- later learned that Wells was bisexual. Bonin persuaded the youth to accompany him to his apartment with the promise he would be paid $200 if he allowed himself to be bound prior to engaging in sex. At Bonham's apartment, Wells was bound, raped, beaten on the face, torso, and then informed he was to be murdered. He told, they told me they were going to kill him before he was strangled to death with his own t-shirt. Bonin then placed Wells' body inside a cardboard box which he and Monroe, Monroe carried in the van, and they drove to Butt's residence when Bonin was first invited to view, first invited, where Bonin first invited to view Wells' body in, in the enticement. We got it in the van, it's a good one, come and see it. According to Monroe, upon receipt, viewing the body, Butts replied, oh, you got another one, before Bonin asked for advice on how to dispose of it. Bonin's subsequent trial, Monroe required Butts' response. Try a gas station like, or like where, I don't know, which, where we dumped the last one. And Monroe later testified that Butts had actively dissuaded Bonin from discarding the youth's body in the nearby canyons due to the late hour. So Wells' body instead was discarded behind in Huntington Beach gas station where it was found five hours later. Now after nine days of surveillance, in that time, they couldn't save any of those ones he was killing. On June 11, 1980, the police observed Bonin driving seamlessly random or in the matter through Hollywood, unsuccessfully attempting to lure five separate teenage boys to his van before succeeding in luring a youth into his vehicle. The police followed Bonin until his van, par- until his van was parked in a desolate parking lot close to the Hollywood freeway then discreetly approached the vehicle upon which hearing muffled screams and banging and sounds from inside. These plainclothes officers forced their way into the vehicle and discovered Bonin in the act of raping the 17-year-old Ron Harold Eugene Tate, who he had handcuffed and bound. Initially charged with the rape of the minors and held on suspicion of murder of Miranda, Bonin was detained in $25,000 bond. The following day, Monroe stole Bonin's car and fled to Michigan. So, they found the scrap... They, 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 they went to his apartment and found scrapbooks of all his murders because he kept records. Yeah, but the other thing is... you Okay, so the van, when this guy... when they, when they Well, they saved this one. Mm-hmm. But when they saved him... This is how they were able to connect a lot, not just the scrapbook things, but the way they were, without a doubt, evidence able to do, if you remember the documentary was, there was the green carpet in the van. Yeah. The green, yes. And they found those fibers on several of the bodies. 
the same fibers from that green carpet. So that's how they were able to connect so many bodies that had been found, you know, back to him. Like, yeah. And that so that was the real evidence. And then didn't and then uh, Butts Vernon Butts when they were attacked, didn't he kill himself? Yes, he ended up he ended up um, killing himself. And and you know I, I mean he's just as much of a garbage human being. I, oh yeah, scum of the earth. I mean they I all are because he he knew Bonin was sick in the head, and so he encouraged it. He gloated and encouraged it watching what was going on. Like, we know Bonin's evil. Butts is a whole yeah, other version of convolutedness. Yeah. So the, there was a preliminary hearing in Los Angeles on January 2nd, 1981. Bonin uh, pleaded innocence, 14 first-degree murder charges. Numerous counts of sodomy, robbery, and mayhem. And 11 of those indictments, a felony murder, robbery, special circumstance was alleged. And uh, after this, that's when Butts committed suicide by hanging himself in the yeah. towel cell. He was like so, such a coward he couldn't face the no. music for what he did. So anyway, uh, he was brought to trial in Los Angeles County, charged with the murder of 12 of his victims whose bodies had been found within his uh, on October and on October nineteenth, nineteen and he was tried before Superior Judge Court Judge William Keene. The trial commenced on November fifth, nineteen eighty one. And Miley and Monroe testified against him. Uh, Norris, uh, um, the acting prosecutor, sought the death penalty. Uh, the strategy of Bonin's defense attorneys was to challenge the credibility of numerous prosecution witnesses, like like Monroe and Miley. Even though they were, you know, they were just as bad, they they probably turned state's evidence. So we wound up. Uh, he was also brought to trial in Orange County. And uh, prior to the second trial, he was trial. He was temporarily. Uh, He was, he was, yeah, he was tried with Supreme Court Kenneth Lee, and uh, he was uh, temporarily removed from death row. Okay, so he was found guilty of these murders and sentenced to death. So he was removed from death row to stand trial, and then he uh, he was put back on. He he was found uh, guilty of each for the four counts of murder, in addition to three hours of robbery. And after three days of deliberation, as actual penalty, P. opposed the vote bond, the jury announced they're recommending that he be sentenced to death on each count. Now, he only can die one time, but nobody deserved the death penalty more than this guy. So Judge Lay performed it. Uh, on the date, Bond received four further death sentences, with Lay describing Bond in as sadistic and guilty of monstrous conduct. So he was in. The, he remained in death row for 24 years, awaiting ex execution in the gas chamber. And in his years on death row, he undertook painting and writing hobbies and received minor awards for his work, short notes and poems. He uh, he filed uh, numerous appeals. None of them worked, and each successful each appeal uh, proved unsuccessful, and. Um, he was executed by lethal injection at San Quentin Prison on February 23rd, 1996, and he was the first person to be executed by lethal injection in the history of California, and his execution occurred 14 years after his first death sentence was implemented. Now, um, this is, this system's fucked. System's fucked. That this guy could get away with so much... After he had been caught, you know, it's a similar thing with the one who just died, too, the, uh, the dating game killer. And we're going to cover yeah. him at some point in the future. But he had been caught and let go and let go and everything yeah. numerous times, just like this guy. Well, on the documentary we watched, there was the criminal psychologist who, when he first got brought into holding in jail, she had to try to keep him alive and stuff before the trials and yeah. everything. And her name was Vonda Pelto. 
I don't know if you remember her on the thing. They yeah, they had her on the I remember thing. that. She um, said something very interesting about when she had first met him. The, the monsters are not what you think. They're not these vile-looking people. They, they oh, yeah, like, I remember that she, lady she, on the documentary, she yeah. She talked about how charming he was, how much it was just like you were sitting down with somebody to have coffee and pastries or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. she just felt like, like, it's just like you're sitting down to have coffee with something, is how he acted. He was that charming. But... As she talked to him more, she realized how much he really relished in the thing. So, like I like to do sometimes on different cases, I needed to, uh, you gave me the birth date, so I always like to look at the astrology. This is yeah. really interesting for him. Okay? Now, you remember what I always said about uh, January Capricorns? Yeah. They go with the year before. So he's actually a Capricorn born in the year of the fire dog. Okay? Even though he's 1947, he actually goes... With mainly 1946, which is the year of the fire dog. This is quite intriguing because this shows he was very social. We've talked about that, about how he loved to be around different people. It's the reason he could bring people in. That real fire energy he had that. There's that Capricorn energy that really is why he had this thirst and hunger that could never be fed. Yeah. He was also a dog, so all the abuse he had got internalized yeah. and turned into the monster we see that happened. So with some of it's the socialization, some of it's the astrology. But overall, the Capricorn dog, in a sense, makes him this very kind of endearing, alluring, charming kind of individual. Well, I remember what she said on the documentary. She said that when he was executed, she said she wondered, do you think... Do you think maybe if he would have gotten help earlier on that none of these murders would have been committed? And then she said, when she thought about it, she said, no. There was, no, there was nothing. No, Nobody could help him. He was... he was. No, no, no. There's, the help was far gone yeah. to that point. So it does lend to what you're saying with the system. And I'm looking at this. There was no way to... This is a person that would have needed to be off of knowing what he went through in his childhood, looking at the astrology here, looking at what's going on, there was no possibility of treatment. Well, you know, like... I'm, he I'm, needed to be locked away. I know some of the um, argument of some people who are anti-death penalty will say, and I kind of agree with this in a way that death is maybe may too good for him. They maybe should be able to live with what they did. But a man like this isn't going to live with what he did. He's going to think he was wronged. He is going to believe... He believed what he did was right. He believed that these people were nothing but pawns for him to play with. So, you know, that in a case like that, maybe he needed to be executed. And thank God he's never going to hurt anybody again. Thanks. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, this ends our, um, our series of... Uh, Death on the Open Road, Highway Homicides. And this was a pretty disturbing one for us to end with. But looking at this, we have to look in the framework of a lot of these things we talk about. And there's going to be a lot of cases, and just looking at it again, we see certain things happen nowadays, but it would never be to this level of how many murders. No, he may, probably was getting caught. Because think that. about it nowadays with... DNA. Surveillance, DNA, um... Just a lot of these young people have, there's just the proliferation of Uber and Lyft ride shares and other things. Like, the young boy might not have been even waiting on a bus. He would have just been in a ride chair to go to Disneyland. Well, you know, and another thing, too, a lot of, uh, there's cameras everywhere. There's crime cameras. Right, you know? everywhere. So it really, you know, really, it's kind of, that's kind of like the serial killer's enemy. So anyway, uh, next week uh, we start our new series, right? This is going to be The yes. Devil Made Me Do It. The Devil Made Me Do It, and we are going to start off with the biggie. We're going to start off with The Son of Sam, Berkowitz. Son of Sam, and our movie is going to be The Omen, the 1976 one, right? Not to explore the idea of a possible Antichrist. Yes. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, this, has been very, this has been an extremely disturbing series. I'm not sorry it's over, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, it's, and, it's, uh, we, 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 we say we're going creepy. We're creepy Yeah, podcast. we're creepy. So, anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at A Shutters. 
uh, Instagram at OpenCast. Uh, our Facebook business page is Open Shutters, a Creepy Podcast. Our Facebook group is the official page for Open Shutters, a Creepy Podcast. Oh, our Patreon is, like we said, is under construction right now. So uh, we, we, we uh, you know, we'll let you guys know when it's back up and running again. And um, uh, you want to email us for something? Our email address is openshutters at yahoo.com. So until next time, my friends, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you're William Bonin and you killed a bunch of innocent boys and you can fall right, right fall on your own knife. Get strangled by your own ligature. On your own ice pick. Well, yeah. Strangling by his own t-shirt. Ah, thank you guys. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye. Mm.